Welcome to the Wisdom Rising podcast. I'm your host, Lama Sultrama Aleone, and my goal with this podcast is really to open your own wisdom, to have your own wisdom rising, either through the meditations that I lead or introduce you to, or to the people that I interview that bring wisdom with them in their own voice, in their own traditions. So we look forward to raising our wisdom together on the Wisdom Rising podcast. And I'm so happy to share this with you. I'm happy to be here with you. And mainly I'm going to be interviewing Zenju. And also she may ask me some questions or I may contribute in some way if there's something relevant from the tradition that I speak from. And so maybe I could start with a general question for you, Zenjo, which is now in this current world of COVID and how everything has changed in the last year, how do you see this exploration of darkness? Has it changed for you? Has it deepened? Where are you with it? I want to just briefly state before I answer that, that I began an exploration around darkness last year, 2020, when the pandemic coronavirus came about. And I noticed many people struggling with it. I also noticed that the darkness had a relationship to Blackness as well in Black people and just the inability of us to be with it as a society. And so I began to explore it. And the first thing I noticed in my exploration was that people wanted to get out of the darkness, right? And I was very happy staying with it. And because inside of me, I knew that the light that we seek is in that darkness and that we are always in the dark. That's the unknown. That's a mystery of life. And so as I continue to explore even now, I don't think really much of what I've come up with has changed. And then, so I think I've been exploring it for a long time, this thing called life, right? And many of us have on the spiritual path. And I haven't seen anything new other than I think people might feel there, a lot of people think they're out of the darkness. I think that's the new illumination. And I, I don't want to rain on anybody's parade or anything like that or joy because we should have joy when, and celebrate when we can. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm mostly talking about this deep kind of sacred, natural, organic process of darkness that's within our lives and how can we use it. And I'm, I have to say, I'm really excited to be talking to Lama Solstrom because I began to look at the dark mother pantheon and of different traditions. I did land on the Vudan one, but I, I am very interested in the deities, the dark mothers and the deities that we often don't know about. But if we studied them, I think we'd get a, a bit of understanding about this great kind of organic darkness that we have in our lives. That we need in our lives. Exactly. You know, that 
it is life. Actually, this is going to be part of a book that's coming out next, no, year after next that I'm writing. But even what we perceive as negative, sometimes when we're talking about darkness, our dark mothers and this kind of negative force, we might use those words when we see and hear wrathfulness, but to understand what the purpose of the wrathfulness is, because we've taken the purpose away and we just add this negative experience. And oh, so the pandemic's crazy. Everything's crazy. But there's something going on in this uh, kind of spiritual level in the way that these dark mothers, our dark deities um, work in the sense of protecting us. There's a protection there. And while they're coming with the sword, I always say they come with the flowers as well, is protecting the sanctity of humanity. If we weren't shaken up by the rascalness and the disturbance and the interruption, we would just keep going on. Nothing's going on. So that's what we were doing probably a whole lot before the pandemic came along. One of the dark deities in that is also associated with Mahakali, but it's not talked a lot about in, in Japanese Buddhism is uh, the Dai Koku Tenyo. And she is Mahakali. And Dai Koten, Dai Kokuten is the Mahakala, the male. I wanted to share an image of her because people don't see this image. It's mostly, I think, held in the Tao Taoism which is the basis, the shamanic base of, of much of Zen today. And she is strictly Mahakali in the sense of being fierce and has wrathfulness. There are several temples in Japan that have statues in the front who actually honor the dark deity. And it's in the front of, they have statues in front and inside. And there's even a temple in Japan called Dai Kokuji. One of the things that, that I wrote about in my last book, Wisdom Rising, about the, the wrathful feminine, the fierce feminine, is this is a, an archetype that has been denied and repressed. But really, we need this fierceness. We right. need it to stop what's going on in terms of the destruction of our earth. Right. And there's a story, there's a, a Milarepa story, which I found very interesting where he's, he's in the mountains and he's in his cave as usual. And he's approached by the people of the town saying that they have an epidemic in the town that's being caused by the Dakinis by the fierce Dakini. Mm -hmm. And so then he has a, a meeting with this particular Dakini. And she said, the reason why we are doing this is because they've been polluting this area with noxious smoke. The villagers were burning something noxious. And so as long as that's happening, we will be returning with illness. And then Milarepa says to her, that's not really basing, based on bodhicitta. And can we in some way uh, make offerings to you and placate this so that villagers aren't dying? 
And so he does that. He gives it to them and to these Dakinis. But I've always felt so many of these diseases that we have now, including the coronavirus, which is really created out of a pretty nasty situation for animals and and then spread. But it that meanness and misuse of animals that's just so much all over the world and is causing extinctions, but also just daily in our consumption of their flesh. And that was in a market where people were eating those things that these these illnesses in a way are messages from from those wrathful mothers and that 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 fierce voice may be really necessary and i i feel like that's part of what you're talking about is that true that is true i think that that even ourselves can be messengers through this darkness there is messages coming through for us right now and that it's the wrathfulness of dark mothers. Just think about even maybe your own mother. I had a mother that was definitely, I would consider a wrathful mother. But at the same time, there was this other wrath here and then this other hand of flowers, which I hold. So I'm not um, honoring any abuse, but I am understanding her need to protect this Black child in this world against what she saw, but I did not because mm-hmm. I was young. I didn't understand anything about racism and all these kinds of things. And she did being from rural Louisiana. And so if we could sit still long enough <laughs> to receive the messages in this darkness, I think we'll be amazed at how far beyond our own thinking and mind that what would come up for us to do as a society, as human beings, and in relationship to animals as well. Because as you said, it started with the animals. And, and it's just, wow, they didn't expect any diseases from the animals to cross. We just act like they're not interrelated with us. And, and I think it's such a powerful message right there to get in relationship again with animals around us and what we're doing and how we're doing it, what, how they're being slaughtered, for nothing and for way over any uh, need or demand. Um, Yeah, I feel that definitely that the messengers are um, here. We can understand what the darkness is and and live with it. I was really struck when you said right in the beginning that the darkness is the unknown, the great mystery. And I don't know if you used the word great mystery, but that was the word. I did. I, I'm, I'm sure I, I used it. I used that word. Yeah. Uh, and the ability to embrace the not knowing of our lives. That's such a powerful idea because we're always trying to get rid of that. Get rid of the not knowing. Right. And know everything. Yeah. We want the light to be on all the time. So imagine living like that, the light on all the time. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I guess some people may live like that. I don't know. How do you understand dreaming in terms well, of this? Dreaming is, I'm a dreamer and I'm a lucid dreamer. And uh, a lot of 
my relationships happen in dreams, my relationship to the world, to people, to animals, ancestors, everyone shows up in my dreams. And I was once told dreams are representations of yourself. And for me, that's not true. My dreams are prophetic. And so I don't know if maybe that person dreams are representations of themselves, Mm -hmm. but for me, they're more prophetic. The symbolism, the people who show up, what they say, how they are. I'm about to cry because last Mm -hmm. night I just had a dream about a person who now has Alzheimer's, so I can't really reach her. And she was in my dream and we reached each other in the dream. And I knew we did. I could feel it. I was so happy when I woke up. And the the way she hugged me and laughed was the way she used to do all the time. And I was joking with her about some Native American trinkets because I said, these are for sale. It's a joke, right? Because people buy, buy all kinds of spiritual trinkets and don't know what they're buying. And so we laughed about it. And it's, it was a long dream, but it also had our ceremonies that we did together we're usually on dry land here, dry environments, usually brown, not very lush land in New Mexico. And in this dream, though, we were making our prayer ties on these like vines with flowers on them. And our prayer ties were on these vines rather than strings. We usually put them on strings. So it was telling me that something is still fertile and about her, about the community, about life, about this land, that that still, no matter what, how dry it is, I could, I, we could be consumed by, oh, it's so dry, then the planet's dead, the rivers are full of sand, and we could go that way. Or we could also look at the messages in our dreams, in the darkness that say everything is going in the direction it needs to go to, the land is fertile. The land can be brought back to if we can see, if we can be light messengers rather than creating our own light. See, I didn't create my own light about the situation with my friend. It just came to me, right? In the dream. I didn't didn't say, oh, it's all going to be better. It'll never be better or anything. And it's better for me right now this morning. And now I hadn't seen her for a long time, and I'm ready to see her now, ready to visit. I'm struck by the idea that you go into the darkness, which is sleep, turn off the lights, and then there's illumination Mm -hmm. in the darkness. Yeah. And that reminds me of the dark retreat in the Tibetan tradition that we talked about a little bit. The dark retreat is called the Bardo retreat, and an environment of complete darkness is created yeah. where the air is goes in through tubes so there's no light coming in with the air. And you go into the dark for seven weeks. And in that process, you begin to see. And there's various practices that you do in the darkness that activate the subtle body and the ground of being that resides in all of our hearts. And that begins to create visions that you actually see in the dark. And that practice is a very important practice 
for reaching the rainbow body, which is when at the time of death, when the body breaks down, the cells in the body reintegrate into light and there's no corpse. There's only the hair and fingernails left. And so that dark retreat creates the conditions of death essentially before death. And then this process is activated, which then takes place when the actual death occurs. And it's really interesting in terms of what you're saying that in the dark, the light comes, but it's an inner light. It's an inner clarity of our true nature. And that's the same that what you're saying about the dreams where you mm-hmm. go into that, the darkness of the night, but your dreams are dreams of clarity. We talk in the Tibetan tradition about karmic dreams and dreams of clarity, and they're different. And it sounds like you have mainly dreams of clarity. And then there are the normal dreams are just rehashing and, and processing our hopes and fears, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But your dreams of clarity are really illuminating. Yeah, they, I'm guided, very much guided by them. I think just we try to mimic this in meditation where we go into a, this darkness. We usually have the lights out when we meditate, right? And we go into the darkness, especially in Zen. You sit in a dark Zendo with the candlelight. And this darkness and this reduction of distraction mm-hmm. is really important to, to the, the whole body and the body of the spirit, the whole physical body and the body of the spirit to, in order to meet each other. Because mm-hmm. if there's a distraction, then it, it can't happen. So all the chanting that we do, calling in the ancestors, the drums, the bell, all of that. Mm-hmm. To me, our, our shamanic activities, whether they might say it or not, or are, are think of them that way, are shamanic activities that been they've been clipped, but shamanic activities that um, intended for what we're talking about. I think if they were extended, so I'm also writing about that as well, the shamanic bones of Zen and uh, why it looks so different than many other Buddhist traditions. So. I, I'm very interested in this still exploring darkness too, at the same time, which is interesting and bringing it to this world so that the darkness, even those who say they love darkness, I have people like even myself say, oh, I love darkness. I don't have any problems. And I ask them, does that transfer over to dark people, dark things, dark matters in life? And they have to pause. Many are, some will say yes, very fast. But I think as a society, the, the misinterpretation and misunderstanding of darkness and what it is, its purpose, and can we live in the absence of light? Can we open to the absence of light? It's very important to how I think we will continue as a humanity, as people, as that, that will be more loving to each other and therefore loving to animals mm-hmm. and to everything else, to a tree, to an ant, to whatever. So it won't come out of our heads. Oh, I should be loving to an ant. Well, you might not really feel that way. You just know you should be because it's one of the precepts or something. But can it come from that darkness, that place of mystery 
and discover. We are to discover life, not know it. That's the way I have lived my life. I feel like I, I, once I know it, I, suddenly that's gone. That it's not even there for me to know, whatever that thing is or person. Something changes. And so it's constant discovery right up until laying uh, or sitting in our death position. There is the discovery. And I, although as frightened as I am of that moment, I, am, I keep trying to imagine and my, I just smile at the discovery that will come at that time. It just, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering what that'll be, but it's, it does light up my world. I don't know if we have any time for questions um, from the audience. We've got a few minutes. Uh, maybe we can invite okay. some questions. In the meantime, maybe I'll ask you one more question. With this way that you dream, your dreams of clarity or lucid dreaming, did you train in that or was this something that just spontaneously happened? When I was in Junior high, I remembered I was about 11 and I went to junior high at 11 years old. And I had a teacher and I think she was studying in the lucid. Now that I'm grown, (laughs) I realized that she studied lucid dreaming and, and she would teach us things like she said, when you wake up in the morning, I don't want you to move. I want you to stay still. I want you to breathe. And then she started saying, notice how, when you wake up in the morning, you can't make a fist. And you really can't. She said, just notice how your body's not the body you had when you went to sleep. And so I started doing all these different kinds of things. I remember doing that with her, this teacher. I don't even remember her name, but I remember her teaching that. And some, it must have sunk in. So all of my life, I have had these dreams. I've had found jobs and I've known of friends, death around friends and people. I don't always tell people about what I see, but I, I learned to just hold on to those things. It's just something to see and know for in case I am to be a part of it or engaged in that. Mm-hmm. But I never trained um, with any other teachers in it. I'm interested. I've always been interested in how to deepen it and how to use it more for my life other than just having it happen, which it does. It happens. And it happens when I take a nap in the afternoon or it happens in the morning if I I have to wake up and go back to sleep for the lucid dream. And then it comes. My oracle, the black angel cards oracle came in a dream at 4.30 in the morning. But I woke up, went to sleep, came back to that. It it just, I didn't know what it was. I didn't even know what an oracle was. I had gotten readings like tarot card readings, but I didn't know what this was. And I went about just pulling it together and sharing it. It's currently, sorry, folks, out of print. It was, it's been around for 20 years, but it's maybe it'll get picked up by someone. Yeah, maybe a publisher will pick it up again. So there are a couple of questions here. I can read them to you. What can we all practice to deepen our trust in the Dark Mother? Can we all practice to deepen our trust Mm. in the Dark Mother? I think practicing going through the fire, you said the fire was female, to go toward it. I'm into talking about fire a lot myself and how sacred it is. And to be able to walk through the fire, I don't know. What do you think? Practice. It's interesting that she uses the word practice. Yeah. 
I think practicing, like the Tromanakmo practice, if you have access to that, or something like the Chib practice, when you become her in that transformation, those are specific practices. I also teach and practice the the blue-black lion-headed dakini, siyamuka. That's yeah, one of my main practices, and we are having a retreat about that in in a few weeks. So those are actual practices that we could yeah. do. Go ahead. For me, it has been also the Zen world that I think a lot of people turn around when they see all the forms and everything going on. That just doesn't make any sense, and it definitely doesn't make any sense if you're looking onto it. But if you're engaged in it over time, you get to stay long enough for it and see the practice within yourself and not what other people are doing and saying, then you begin to, I think, understand life. That's how I began to understand and explore life as darkness by the long sitting the in the dark. Yeah. 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 See. Will you be including dream work in your upcoming retreat? If so, in what way? Yeah, I I tend not to teach dream work because I don't know what that is. <laughs> it just <laughs> happened to you. Huh? Yeah. For those of you who are interested and in actually there are courses in that in the Tibetan tradition and there is a book called Dream Yoga. And it, it's also considered quite an advanced practice, the dream yoga. So not necessarily something that you do as a beginner. But yeah, it sounds like I think my analysis of what happened is that you came into this life without a lot of karmic accumulation. And therefore, at a young age, clarity started to manifest in your mind stream. And that's been your guide and so that isn't something you could teach because it's it's karmic it's karmic it's karmic situation Mm -hmm. Mm. so that would make sense that you can't teach it Mm -hmm. okay i'm going to look here for another in those dark moments when you feel vulnerable frightened and when everything looks so hostile how can i make peace with that darkness you can't force it that's all I know. You can't say, I'm going to be at peace while you're trembling. But what you can do is while you're trembling, know that something else is going to appear. That's mm-hmm. it. You just have to know because it always has. Just trust the experience of life. Something else has always appeared through the trembling. For me, that has been my experience of life. Yeah, and I would, I would mention the demon work, Feeding Your Demons, where you actually... Invite that darkness or the fear to take form, and you ask it what it really needs, and then feed it. And then that energy that's caught in the demon becomes the ally. So mm-hmm. that's uh, maybe Joe, you could put a link to that in case it's somebody who doesn't know that. It's great. There's such many wonderful resources coming here. I know I have myself, I'm very interested in practicing some of the, or learning, not practicing learning and coming to that gateway of some of the Tibetan uh, traditions Mm -hmm. and practices through your center. Yeah. Yeah. Very interested. Thank you. I tried to sign up for one, like I told you before. Yeah. My mind 
stop me because I said, oh, I don't have the instruments. And I'll <laughs> be very interested in the feeding your yeah. game work. Yeah, I did actually with some of your practitioners a few years, and it was powerful. I don't remember their names right off because I'm, but I did the feeding the demons uh, retreat in California once, and it was very powerful. Yeah. Okay. Here's another question. In this stepping into the dark, not knowing, I find myself and my whole body experiencing enormous insecurity and restlessness. Where do you find an anchor of security to get you through this insecurity and the experience of not being calm. Calm is overrated. And I always tell people, if that's your only, I just said that on another talk, if that's your only result and goal, and you need it right away, you need it today, there are quite a few T's that will help you. And I'm not being facetious. I'm just saying people work too hard for that one. There's exercise and calm, there's other things. Are you ready to do a practice to walk a spiritual walk to to develop an inter- a relationship or interrelationship with a teacher or teachings and be there committed and devoted? These are the things rather than just let me get my let's find out how to get calm. And there's videos that show you how to breathe. But these things are OK. But if you're looking for something to sustain your life. And I'm thinking you might be that you even asked the question that you might be thinking of that something to sustain your life, that you go on through the, the places that feel disruptive, that are not calm and study that darkness, study it, be with it long enough. Don't try to jump into something that's going to solve it. We're medicine oriented, we're definitely prescriptive oriented so we want a prescription to it to these things but but I think we're being asked the pandemic is loud right loud and clear and all the killings that have been gone on loud and clear been going on saying we need to go deeper than just the instant medicine that we can get or the instant answer but to get ourselves on some kind of path that doesn't have to be a traditional one create something um, in which you can see I haven't been in Zen all my life in which you can see do ceremonies learn what ceremonies and retreats are and then and come with your uncalm self because if you're too calm I maybe people won't trust that maybe do you trust it that kind of calmness and are you creating something that's not real for you Mm -hmm. yeah I think also that embracing that groundlessness, that feeling of not having an anchor, to try to become familiar with that and not just try to run away from it, but allow it. Practice of mindfulness of just breathing and being present with the feeling. That feeling may be a fear or unanchored, ungroundedness, that it is in fact our reality, we the ego keeps trying to create groundedness. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But it's not the actual state. It's not our true nature. It's and not. So it keeps getting disrupted. And so I think becoming what Zenju's, I think, trying to say is become comfortable with that. Just that you can embrace it and you don't have to run away. It is maybe uncomfortable at first, but 
it could become your friend. It's a powerful, sacred, transformative place. There is a constant fear inside of all of us. It's constant. It's we're going to die. That's constant. And you can't run backwards to get away from it. So I think a constant disruption in life is very sacred. I have been pushed over the cliff many times. I know I'm going to be pushed over again because I'm going to die. So it's just going to keep going on and on. And I noticed that when I am pushed over and I'm just imagine flying in the air with nothing to grip. And then when it's over, I'm still alive. I survived it. And I could either go back and look for where I was holding on to, or I can just keep going and see what else is going to be uh, presented to my life. And usually I go on because you really can't usually go back. You can't jump back out, up on the cliff, right? When something's pushed you over. And sometimes I say I was, I'm fortunate to have been pushed over so many times to, in order to come to this place where I sit right now in order to encounter a very powerful Lama. I think that's just really, to be in this moment, to talk to everyone who is sitting here and in this moment is very sacred and it will not happen again in this way, in the way it's happening now. I just, I just learned that through being pushed over the cliff so many times. Yeah. I loved our time together. Yes, me too. And our connection. And we're so honored. You're an amazing combination of a Zen master and a healer and a seer all in this particular body in this moment. And I really encourage everyone to take advantage of this amazing being who is appearing now to us and learn what you can from her and where she can take you. It's really powerful. And it's wonderful that you're doing this. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Interesting me. Thank you. All right. Lots of Thank love, you. everyone. Thank you, everyone, for being with us for this Wisdom Rising podcast. May it benefit all beings. And I'd like to take a moment to thank the production team of Wisdom Rising and also to let you know that if you would like further information on my work or the associated people who work with Tara Mandala, you can reach out to the Tara Mandala website, T-A-R-A-M-A-N-D-A-L-A dot O-R-G. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe. Mm-hmm.